Christian. Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would, to Luke, the 16th chapter. Luke, chapter 16. I'm going to preach part of a word that literally I have spoke to tens, if not maybe a million teenagers about. See, I've always said this. Heaven is my passion, but hell is my obligation. Here we have been teaching you, okay, what does it mean to be lost? People don't get lost on, they don't get lost on purpose. Luke chapter 15, we talked all about that, about the coin and um, the three things that were lost in Luke 15. The sheep, what happened to him? He just kind of wandered off, just wandered off. Why is a fourth of all Christians, they don't go to church, they just wander off. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Why has agnosticism grown in America 744%? Then, then we talked about the, the lost coin. Why was the lost coin lost? Because, because somebody was careless with it. Somebody didn't teach it. They didn't, they, they, they didn't pour into that child the, the good things of the Lord. And then the prodigal son, of course, we know he made choices. This whole time we've been building on this series. We Remember we took and we, we put all the names of the lost up here. And then last week I, I uh, talked about Colossians as he nailed our sins to the tree. And then Jesus came up and painted over that. And so as I wrap this series up today, how many of you have been excited about the anatomy of lostness? How many of you are thinking differently when you're driving down the road, when you see your friends, when you go into school, when you go into work? How many of you are different about this? If you believe that, give God a praise. Amen? Come on, church. Do you know what has always ticked me off? Hell has always been bigger than my church. Hell's church is bigger. So I'm going to preach a message simply titled Driven by Eternity. I've got a good friend who wrote a book named John Bevere called Driven by Eternity. And I just was, when I was writing this message, I was thinking about just that title, Driven by Eternity. What pushes me? Does it bother me that every 60 seconds, a hundred people walk into eternity? That they either go to heaven or they go to hell. Does that even get you? Watching 9-11, sitting in my recliner that morning, had taken Nate to school. We lived in North Carolina at the time. We lived in a military town. And when 9-11 hit, I mean, they brought the tanks onto the streets. They shut down the city. And and uh, we're, we had to go get our kids out of school because most of the kids are military there. We weren't military, but we were living in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And I'm sitting there. Karen calls me and she says, okay, listen, you got to get back home. She said, a second, uh, or, or the towers have just been hit. It was before the, before the second one. I walk in the house, sit down, and that second plane hits the tower. I start weeping. Because I thought about how many people just walked into hell. The tsunami hit. I know what it's like to land in Singapore three days later and see thousands of caskets lined up being sent to Indonesia and Sri Lanka and Bondage. And so, as I move into this, the whole reason I didn't just preach that series, The Anatomy of Lostness, just so we could say, okay, we understand lost people. There's a goal in this thing. And the goal is for you to, as I wrap this up, to simply understand where we're going. What are you talking about? Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 has been our scripture for this whole series. It says, And Jesus went out throughout all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Everybody still with me? Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. 
How many of you know Mark chapter 13, it says, Before Jesus returns, He will preach the gospel to all nations. The word will be out to everyone. You're still with me, right? So we've talked about the anatomy of lostness. Remember, I've asked you four questions leading up to this point. What are the four questions? Do we want the lost? Because, I mean, they can kind of get on your nerves. you got to kind of take some time with them. I mean, they may not look like you or dress like you. Or, and they may ask, like, really elementary questions that we don't know answers to. Do we really want them? Okay, the second question, will we all walk in holiness? Because don't ask God to bring healthy babies and stick them in sick incubators. Are we willing to be people of integrity? Are we willing to be people of honor? Are we willing to do what we say? And not just here, anybody can worship. But we live it out in the streets. We live it in the grocery store. Number three, the third question was, are you excited about your faith? Man, I'm excited about being a Christian. It's the coolest thing. Chris comes up here, starts sharing about what they're doing in Indonesia. I just suddenly want to go to Indonesia. I'm called. Here I am. Send me, Lord. Because I'm excited about this thing. See, I absolutely believe that this thing does something. Are you with me? I still believe this thing cuts and goes in and can can rock the hardest person and change the hardest person. Are you with me? Are you awake this morning, church? I'm excited about this because I believe in what we're about to share. What was the fourth question I asked you last Sunday? Are you ready for a God encounter? What if He brings people into your path? Here's the fifth question. The last question for this series is, are you willing to be driven by eternity? Are you willing to say, God, use me. Burn this thing inside of me. We've, we've learned the lost don't get lost on purpose. We've learned that they're valuable. Remember the $100 bill? Michael remembers it. He bought new clothes with that $100 bill. Remember, uh, we, we, we taught that, that, that when lost people get lost, they don't ask strangers for directions. They need proper direction. We've learned they don't like Christianese and slang words that we use. You know, all those goofy words we use. We've learned that they're just searching. We've learned that Jesus was the first one to call them lost and then found. We learned about how to have God encounters. But now we've got to be driven by eternity. Let me tell you, I'll never forget, at 16 years old, the night after I accepted the call of God at a youth camp, I'm, uh, the, the, that very night I go to bed and I have a dream of, of people falling into hell. Woke up at 4 in the morning at youth camp where I was working as a lifeguard over in Clanton, Alabama camp called Camp Ambassador. And I wake up wailing. My father had a had a um, an experience where a church caved in on him, where he was working in, in college many, many, many years ago. And remember, he got saved off the streets, and he was working as a construction worker on the third floor, and the church caved in, and he died on the scene. They covered him up. And God took him to heaven, and then he took him to hell in a vision. And he had a dream about heaven and hell. Saw this. Then suddenly he woke up, started breathing, and the fireman seen that as he was being lowered down by a crane, that he was still alive. My dad has to tell you all that story. It's unbelievable. And he said he knew right then. He begged Jesus when he saw hell, let me go back and tell people about you. So I want to get this started because this is kind of burning inside of me. And, and wouldn't it be great if Jesus came back right now? Now, how many of you are kind of scared of the rapture thing? Maybe it's the height part of it. Because you're going you're gonna to go high. He's going to have to give me some Dramamine before we do this, all right? Because I'm all about, lo, he's with you, all right? <laughs> that was good, wasn't it? Stupid, but it was good. But, 
But yeah, wouldn't it be cool? How many of you ever thought you missed the rapture? Be honest. Well, okay, what's the rapture, Pat? First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17 talks about the blessed hope of the church. It talks about that Jesus Christ is coming back and returning and taking us home. All right? And then there's a whole process we're going to get into later in the year when we do our Revelation series. But what you have to understand is we are going to be getting out of this place. I believe that. All right? Jesus is coming back for His bride. We are His bride. You're still with me, right? So the rapture is going to happen. The Bible says in the twinkling of an eye, he's coming back. And so I remember watching this movie, Thief in the Night, when I was a kid. My parents showed me this movie. My father worked for Teen Challenge because after you come off drugs, you work for Teen Challenge. And he's sitting there working for him. And he shows this movie when I'm eight years old called Thief in the Night that freaked me out. I can still sing the song. I wish they'd all been ready. How many of you ever thought you missed the rapture? Be honest. Raise your hand, be honest, because we're like a club. I know you have, Reeves, <laughs> like yesterday. And um, what do you do when you think you missed it? You call the most saved person you know. I used to call my grandmother's a rotary phone. Do you know it takes 11 seconds to dial a number on a rotary phone? Now we just go, oh, come on. And, 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 and it still takes a couple, you know, one second. Wow. But I remember thinking I missed the rapture, calling my grandmother, and she'd answer the phone, hello. And I'd go, I remember, because I came home, and nobody was home, and I'm like, that's it. I missed it, man. Got to get my head chopped off. I'd call my grandmother, and she'd answer, and she'd go, it'd ring and ring, and she'd answer, and she'd go, hello. And I'd go, hey. And she goes, do you think you missed it again? <laughs> yes, ma'am. You didn't, boy. Go pray. You're not, if you don't, you need to get your heart right or you're going to hell. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Can you imagine? Proverbs chapter 27, verse 20 talks about a place, though. Talks about a place called hell. Let me describe hell for you for just a couple of minutes, and then I'm going to describe heaven, and we're done today. I want to describe this place... In fact, the former popo, the former pope, is a good man. But he made the statement that hell was just a state of mind. Folks, can I tell you that's not true? Can I tell you that there's two judgment seats that are waiting? I'll get into that in just a moment. Proverbs 27 verse 20 says this, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. The word hell in the Old Testament is sheol. It also is the word used for graves. In the New Testament, it's Gehenna. I'm going to describe this for you. I want to preach for a few moments because I'm preaching driven by eternity. I want to describe a place called hell that is very real. I want to describe a place called heaven that is my goal. And I want to get you there because we have did this whole series on the anatomy of lostness. What really pushes us? What really is this thing all about? Yes, the love of God leads a man to repentance. I get that. I understand that. But also, there is some end results. We don't just become some cow in a field later on. We don't just go to heaven and get a bunch of virgins, according to some religions. See, what you've got to understand is we're not reincarnated, so be nice to the, to the dog because you could come back as a dog. We don't believe any of that garbage. See, we believe that heaven is just a, or excuse me, the earth is just a bus stop compared to eternity. That we're not going to always be here. The Bible says life is but a vapor. 
a grain of sand. So let me get into this because I want to describe this because people talk flippantly about hell all the time. And so as I'm preaching, driven by eternity, Proverbs 30, verse 12 and 13 says, There's a generation that it's pure in its own eyes and yet is not washed from its filthiness. It says there's a generation that's going to come up that thinks they're okay and they're not okay. Well, pastor, you're going to get all judgmental today. No, I'm not, I promise. But at the same time, it's time to get honest. Are you still with me? See, people talk about, yeah, well, well, that was just hell on earth. Really? <laughs> Have you ever studied hell? I've been flipping about it. And so what you've got to realize is, let me, let me get into this, because in the Old Testament, the word hell was known as Sheol, or the underworld, the place without praise of God, the place where the wicked are sent. Psalms 30, 30 verse 1 says, Oh Lord, you brought me up from the grave, that word is Sheol. You spared me from going down into the pit. Let's look at our, at, at our text real quick. Luke chapter 16. It says this. Verse 31. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side and the rich man also died and was buried. You still with me? Verse 23. It says this. In hell. What is hell? The word there is Gehenna. The word Gehenna in the Greek means the steps down into the valley of the disembodied spirit or the dead congregation. Hell is a very real place. You're still with me, right? Now understand this story right here because a lot of people think this is just a parable. But usually when Jesus would talk about a parable uh, he would, or an allegory, he would say it's like or the kingdom of heaven is like. But he didn't say that with this story. This story starts off as very real, historical, very true. And I'm going to start over. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. Verse 23. In hell, where he was in torment. Everybody say torment. He looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received some good things. Well, Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here and you're in agony. Everybody say agony. Everybody say remember. Verse 26 goes on to say this. And besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed. So that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross. Everybody say the cross. Anyone cross over from there to us. And he answered, Then I beg you, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so they will not all uh, also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, my father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they'll repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Gehenna. Is hell real? Man, I've heard some crazy stories. A man that was being operated on, that died, came out of anesthesia, was on the brink and he began to scream, I'm on fire. Reminded of Jacques Cousteau who said, I will never again, just before he retired, go to the depths of the sea because he heard in a cave cavern what he said were the cries of the sounds of hell. See, I want to preach about hell for a minute. This is not popular preaching. You need to understand, this is not something we'll put on TV. Hello, Birmingham. Welcome to the summit. We're preaching on hell today. But I would rob you if I didn't teach you about this place. 
If I didn't give you that eternity mindset, that mindset that says, wait just a minute. How many of you know John 10.10, 10, the thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy? John 3.19 says, men love darkness more than they love light. So I'm preaching about hell for just a moment, just for a couple of minutes. There's five things that I have to tell you about hell, and then we'll move on to heaven. Okay? Number one, hell is a place of great eternal torment. Do you understand the rich man burned forever? Do you know the core of the earth is 12,000 degrees hot? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, he said, I will go to three, for three days into the heart of the earth. We also know that we, it's the place, hell is the place where the worm never dies. What's the worm? The soul. Someone goes to hell, they burn forever. You know, in Mark chapter 9, verse 46, it talks about that. It says, it says, where the worm doesn't die and the fire is never quenched. Do you know that scientists recently went to the bottom of the ocean and they found these worms that are at the bottom of the ocean. They're called rifta. R-I-F-T-I-A. You can look it up. You can Google it. And riftia worms, or tube worms, are eight foot long worms that live in the crevices of the earth. At the point... And it's called, uh, let let me just make sure I say this right because I wrote it all down, hydrothermal vents, places where sulfur and fire come out of the earth. And there's these eight-foot worms that live there. Jesus said it is the place where the worm never dies. We know that hell is at the center of the earth. Everybody's still with me? You're still okay, right? And so these scientists have found these, and we had a picture of these eight-foot tube worms that live in the places where the earth cracks. And Jesus just backed it up when he prophesied it's the place. And literally it's mind-blowing because these, these worms can live in like 2,000 degrees. Just follow me for a second. The Bible says that hell is a place of torment. The rich man burned forever. He was surrounded by evil. Verse 23, it says, in hell where he was in torment. Uh, the word, Greek word basano means the tearing. The word torment is basano. The, the tearing of flesh and burning of the insides. Why am I telling you this? Because most people today will tell you that they don't believe hell is real. If we serve a loving God, how can he send people to hell? Because he loves you enough to give you a choice. Luke chapter 12, verse 4 says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after killing the body has the power to throw you into hell. Well, this isn't a loving God. Yes, it is. Pastor, why are you preaching on this? This is so... We're going to preach about the glory and, and preach about... You talked about it last Sunday, the outpouring of God. Folks, if I could get you to get an eternity mindset... It's, it'll change. I've taught you how to treat the lost, how to love them, how to not be weird, how to not to be psycho, but at the same time, how not to be a linebacker evangelist. But I also want you to understand, we have a job to do. We are racing against the rapture. If you believe that, give God a praise offering. Amen. Number two, what does the Scripture over in Luke 16 tell us? It says there's memories there. He said, son, remember in your lifetime. Do you know what one of the tortures of hell is going to be? That people will remember those sermons they they missed out on. Or remember the times they should have changed. The warning signs that came. They're going to have memories of loved ones that pleaded with them. They're forever going to be tortured with memories. Welcome to hell. Number three, hell is a place of separation. The Bible says there's a great chasm. 
It's going to be the loneliest place, void of love, void of coming, uh, of coming and wrapping arms around somebody. Why do you think we love people so much here? We hug people because we want to be heaven on earth. So I, I'm preaching this to you because I'm going to go to heaven in just a second. But what is hell all about? I'm reminded of, and many of you have heard about the recordings of hell. Dr. Azakoff, who in 1971, he and a group of communist scientists who were in Siberia, they drilled four kilometers or seven miles into the earth and they lowered a microphone to hear the shifting plates, the platonic plates, and they, they recorded, and I don't know if it's true or not, it's all over the internet, the sounds of hell. We listened to it one night, Nate and I, and some of his friends in his bedroom, and it freaked us out. People screaming. All it did was not scare us. It just made us want to go after the lost. See, when that tsunami hit Indonesia, all I could do was weep. Half a million people, God, most of them, in hell. That's right. It's a place of memories. It's a place of separation. It's eternal. Do you know what the true horror of hell is? Now, how many of you know everybody is going to heaven? Right? We believe that here. That's right. Everybody's going. Just everybody's not staying. See, because there's two judgment seats. Everyone will be forced to stand in the presence of God at some point. Do you know what the horror of hell is? To experience God's presence and never get to be in that again. I was praying the other day, and I'm not being weird when I say this. We had family prayer time late one night. I was under conviction for not praying enough. and I was in a, a not condemnation, conviction. God was saying, I need some time with you. This is this week. And we had family prayer time in the living room, and man, I was just weeping, and I, and I had a, just a glimpse of Jesus for a moment. And you know what the Lord spoke to my heart? He said, son, if I remove my love from this world right now, mountains would fall down. He said, if I removed my love from this world, seas would begin to just lose their boundaries. Folks, you have no idea the love of God that surrounds us. And I'm honored to walk with that love. But you know what a horror of hell is? It's eternal. Imagine living eternity on the brink of insanity. Burning, but not melting. On fire, in pain. Pastor, you are scaring us to death. Good. Good. Because it's not about us. Hey, we're not in danger of hellfire. But people are. Number five. How many of you know Matthew 25, 41 says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you are cursed who are into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Number five. Hell was not created for you. That's right. It wasn't. What does Isaiah 14 say when describing the, 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 the devil himself? It says this, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 11. Maybe I, I didn't even tell you to, to put that on there. Let me read this to you. The grave below is all astir to meet you at your coming. It rouses in the spirits of the departed. It rouses the spirits of the departed to greet you. All those who were leaders in the world, it makes them rise from their thrones. All those who were kings over the nations, they will re all respond. They will say to you, you also have become a weak become weak as we are you become like us all your pomp has been brought down to the grave along with the noise of your harps maggots are spread out beneath you and the worms cover you 
Pastor, why in the world would you tell us about hell? Because I cannot tell you about hell unless I can tell you about heaven for a couple of minutes. Are you still with me? Because he gave us a promise. And this is the promise as I move into the heaven side of this. There is a promise in John chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be in trouble. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. How many of you are excited about that place? Amen? So now I've already described. I've described hell for you. Okay, let's get past that. Let me describe heaven for a couple of minutes. What is heaven? Oh my goodness. It's a place of no time. My grandmother, who I was so close to, that when when she passed away, is standing there right now. The Bible says there's no shadow of turning. My, my grandmother... He, he, I don't even know he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. My grandmother's turning around the corner saying, Come on, Pat, catch up. There's no time in heaven. I'm going somewhere. Talk about another time in another place. A place that pushes me. A place where the love of God is so real. I want to describe it. I want to take you there. How many of you understand those two judgment seats? What do you mean? There's a judgment seat of Christ, or the Bemis seat of Christ. Of course, the Bemis seat is named after the Corinthian games. It's where the Christians will be judged for what they should have done. The Corinthian games is where they gave crowns. How many of you know we're going to throw our crowns at the feet of Jesus? Then there's the great white judgment throne. Of course, that's where sinners will be judged, those that never gave their heart to Christ. What does it say in 2 Corinthians 5.10? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Of course, that Corinthian place right there is the Bemis seat, the judgment seat of Christ. But then there's the great white throne, place where the sinner will be taken and judged. Revelation 20, verse 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky, fled from his presence. And there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown to the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown to the lake of fire. Can I take you now for just a couple of minutes to a place called heaven? Shut your eyes. Maybe maybe you don't know what happened. Maybe all you remember is the screeching of tires. Maybe you're like my roommate in college that's a college football coach that called me one day and he said, Shats, he said, suddenly bullets were just flying in the drive-by, shooting at our players as they were practicing. Maybe you're like the little girl that was, she's 21 years old, that was sitting on the side of her bed praying for Karen and I, holding our missionary card, and she slumped over of an aneurysm. See, I want to take you on a journey for just a second. Maybe you can hear the ambulances. Maybe you can hear, because we're all promised we're going to be getting out of here very soon. And all of a sudden, as you're beginning to leave your body, I'm going to ask you the question, 
today as we move into this, are you driven by eternity? And all of a sudden as you, as you begin to glide through time and space, all of a sudden you find yourself leaving this body. Maybe it was a heart attack. Who knows what could happen? We're all, none of us are promised another second in this room. And all of a sudden you find yourself going through this giant tunnel. As you're going through this tunnel, you're going faster and faster and faster. Until suddenly you're wondering what's going on. It seems like you're going so fast that your face could peel off. You see beams of light coming towards you like laser beams. It looks like they're going to cut through you. But now, all of a sudden, you're heading through this tunnel and you find yourself at the feet of a hill. Open your eyes. Let me give you heaven for a second. This is hard. This is emotional. Yeah, I know. See, because as I studied this sermon to close to midnight last night, I laid in bed thinking about my sister. Turn it down just a hair, man. I laid in bed thinking about my sister who's in this place I'm describing right now. Let me take you on this journey for just a second. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, Examine yourself, test yourself, judge yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. Well, Pastor, this is very different from where you've been going and, and what we've been doing. Folks, I just want to get you ready. Is that okay? I want to prep you. The anatomy of lostness, AOL. Understanding how to love the lost, how to be there for them, but also understanding what eternity is all about. So let me get a little bit deeper in this, and I'm going to go very, very fast because I want you to catch this. And and all of a sudden, I want to describe this as if you were in heaven right now. Can I take you and just give you just a really quick, just a, just real quick? All of a sudden, you find yourself standing at the bottom of this hill. It is without a doubt the most beautiful place you've ever been in your life. It seems like everything is pointed in one direction. Colors all around you that have not even been created yet by Crayola. And the wind is blowing. And you're standing there and you're going, could this be heaven? Was I okay? Was I real for God? Was my life in vain? All of a sudden you hear this thing just run by you. This is my interpretation of what heaven's going to be like. And boy, I'm going to miss it, I promise. But all of a sudden this this thing comes by and he goes, just like a little cursor, he's holy. All of a sudden you feel this wind begin to blow over and you're like, oh my goodness, I've never felt anything like this before. This is the most incredible thing. Uh, And then all of a sudden you hear thunder and you're in the distance and and it kind of scares you. But but everything inside of you, uh, it says just start walking. And as you start walking, you start remembering. Maybe you remember every sermon that was ever preached. Maybe you remember that grandmother that prayed for you. You're remembering all this stuff and your emotions are running wild. Is this heaven? You can't even remember how old you were now before you came here. And you feel this love like you've never felt before. And all of a sudden, that thing runs by you real quick again, and it says, He's holy. You're like, what was that? He's holy. You're like, dude, this 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 place is crazy. And all of a sudden, you come over a hill, and you see a giant city that could not have been built by human hands. It is gold. It is floating. It goes miles high and miles wide. It's made of gold. And there's 12 giant gates in front of it, each gate made of a single pearl. 
each gate representing a different tribe of Judah. Revelation 21, verse 21 says, The gates were made of a single pearl, each 12 foot high. There were 12 of them. And as you, you, you look at them, you're like, Dude, look at that giant pearl gate. My mama would love to have that pearl gate. Folks, I want to go through the Judah gate, the worshiper gate. And all of a sudden, you walk towards the gate. And you reach up to knock. You remember because, how many of you know the Word of God does not return void? Every scripture you've ever heard, you will remember. In Jude, and I'm telling you today, so you're going to remember it. Jude, verse one, Jude chapter 1, verse 24, says to him who was able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. All of a sudden, you reach up towards the gate to knock on it. You're still with me, right? But the gate opens. You are relieved. God wasn't that tough. If my friends could see me now, and as you begin to step through the gate, you realize that all this stuff about God is real. Revelation 21 verse 15 describes the very city. It says the place is beautiful, pure gold, walls of jasper, streets of gold. It describes as you walk through that gate, the the foundation is made of 12 layers of precious stone. Do you know that if you study in Isaiah, or excuse me, Ezekiel, chapter 28, it describes what the devil's made of. The devil's made up of 12 layers of precious stones. The Bible says in Revelation 21 that the streets are made of those same precious stones. What does that mean? The very thing that covered the devil, the chief worship leader in heaven before he was cast out, is the very thing that God says, I'm going to make the streets of heaven out of. In other words, what are you getting at? It's the exact same words in the Hebrew and then in the Greek. What do you mean? In other words, when I get to heaven, I'm going to dance on what the devil was made of. I'm going to be able to walk upon the devil. He's under my feet. In other words, God loves me so much, he takes what old worship is and says, walk on it. Come on, get excited. And all of a sudden you walk into this place and it's beautiful. You notice there's this river running down beside the pathway here. And and there's a tree out in the middle of it. And as you glance at the tree, it goes, life! You're like, people are flying in the air. People are walking underwater, talking. See, because see, folks, we're stuck between the trees right now. We have the tree of knowledge of good and evil in Genesis and the tree of life in Revelation. We're stuck between the trees. Jesus was crucified between the trees. The reason why you have trouble seeing every day is you're stuck in the forest right now. Hang on. You're not getting this yet, are you? And all of a sudden, as you start walking, let me describe it. What you're going to see. You're going to meet people. Revelation 21, verse 26, it says, it describes the people you'll see. It says, the glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into this place. You're going to see people from every tribe and every nation. Let me tell you something, white folks, we're going to be a minority there. I'm serious. Argentina outpouring, Africa outpouring, China, 100,000 people are being saved a day in house churches. And all of a sudden, as you see... As you're walking, you don't even realize that the path is starting to get smaller. You're like, this is the most incredible. And suddenly you hear that thunder again and it scares you. But you keep walking. You know that you got to... Because you're walking along beside the river. The river is... Something is over the river back there and it's bouncing up and down. You can't even tell what it is. See, I'm just giving you a description. I gave you hell already, okay? Let me give you heaven. And all of a sudden as you're walking, it says the glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into this place. And you're, you, you, you see the, all the warriors... All worshiping. You notice they all have something like on their forehead. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 22, He has set His seal of ownership on us. Maybe it's a cross engraved. I don't know. You're like, dude, have I got that? 
Suddenly you hear cheering around you and you look up and there's this stadium full of people. It's the great cloud of witnesses found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 that we will be surrounded by. I'll see my grandmother. You did it, Pat! Or I made it. See great missionaries. Great leaders. Scream. I'll never forget. I, I told you I work out once a year and I was working out one day and the Lord spoke to me. He said, son, never desire to hear the cheer from the crowd, but listen for the cry from the cloud. The cloud of those who've made it. I'll see my sister up there. Goofy rascal. Made it. Made it. Four weeks before, walked, walked the aisle at the summit. Made it. Had never had a true encounter with God. Listen. And somebody walks up to you. And this guy's got a scraggly beard. White hair. And all of a sudden he says, excuse me, did you know that he was wounded for your transgressions? It's your secret sin. He was, or bruised for you. He was wounded for your transgressions. And, or I think I'm saying that right. He was bruised for your transgressions. Help me. Somebody say that to me. Wounded for your transgressions. Bruised for your iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes were healed. And you're like, what? And all of a sudden, as you're walking, the, the path gets starts getting smaller, and somebody else walks up to you, and 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 and, and you're like, hey, hey, are are you from the last days? And you're like, what? Yeah, I, I just need to ask you something. Yeah. Um, my name is Joel, and I wrote this thing a long time ago. Then in the last days, he would pour his spirit on all flesh. The sons and daughters would prophesy. The old men would dream dreams. And upon his handmaid, he'd pour out his spirit. And young men would see visions. And Did you see any of that? No, no, dude, I wasn't into that. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bother you. All of a sudden, this other fellow comes walking up to you, and he goes, Hey, man, hey, did you, did you know that he was going to put an X on the generation? Who, who are you? My name's Ezekiel, and I, I wrote down in the ninth chapter of Ezekiel that he would put an X on a generation. It would be the generation that would not see death. Well, yeah, I've heard of Generation X. Another guy walks up to you. Excuse me, can I bother you for a second, man? Welcome to heaven. Are you from the last days? And you're like, yeah, I guess I'm from the from the last days. He said, my, my name is Malachi. And and I wrote that, that someday that he would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children back to the fathers. Did you see that? I just need to know, man. I wrote it. I just need to know. I know you're from the last days. I, I wasn't really into that. All of a sudden, this guy comes dancing, buying some Holy Ghost Fruit of the Loom drawers. Singing, when the Spirit of the Lord moves upon me, I'm going to dance like I dance. And you're like, this place is as weird as the Summit Church. Somebody says, oh, that's just David. Don't worry about him. We can't get him to wear his pants. All of a sudden, this fellow walks up. And I'm about to close. All of a sudden, this fellow walks up to you and says, excuse me, are you redeemed? And you're like, what? Bruh. Bruh. Are you redeemed? Have you been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ? And about that time, you hear that thunder again. And you're like, you're scared. It scares you. And somebody says, hey, let him that have an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. And all of a sudden, you stop and you listen. And instead of hearing thunder, you now hear the worshipers of heaven screaming, holy, 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 holy. You're still with me. Ignore that, right? And all of a sudden, you keep walking and the path gets smaller. 
Revelation 19.2 says his judgments are true and just. Suddenly you find yourself standing in front of this giant courtroom. But the Bible says you won't be judged in a courtroom at all. You'll be judged in the very heart of God. All of a sudden you walk into this courtroom. Your emotions are running wild. And Revelation 21.22 says it won't be a courtroom but the heart of God. You think about all the loneliness, all the times you gave in, all the times you made mistakes, and you're like, why couldn't I let Jesus just be my only foundation? Even though he said in Matthew 28, verse 20, he said, I have commanded you, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You'll want to hide, but Revelation 20, 11 says there is no hiding place. See, you had a hiding place here on earth. Psalms 91, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He is my rock and my refuge, my fortress. And suddenly you find yourself standing in this courtroom. See, what you don't understand is, I'm talking to those that have never given the heart to Christ right now. You're in a courtroom of the great white judgment. See, just across town, there's another judgment place taking place, and that is where he's asking all the believers, what did you do for me? He'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Five times he says that in his word. Five different crowns of life. But I want to focus on this side of it real quick because all of a sudden if you find yourself in this place I'm describing, you, the Bible says in Revelation 20 verse 12, you'll be standing amongst the great and the small. There'll be stars. There'll be actors. There'll be athletes. There'll be presidents. There'll be great champions. You'll see all these people. You'll see rock stars. You'll see all these people that never use their talents for God. You'll see, Pastor, this is just an too intense word. I just want out of here. The seat is harder than it's ever been this Sunday morning. Why are you preaching on this? Because I'll tell you why, church. Because I've been preaching for three weeks on the anatomy of lostness. And I want to see Wesley Lee get saved. I want to see Melanie Johnson get saved. Are you with me so far? That's what we're here for. We're not here to cater and be some plastic surgery hospital. We are here for the lost. How do we do it? Let me give you an act of love. Let me bring you in and let me get real with you. You're going to see common people. You're going to see people you didn't like. Even though Romans 15 verse 7 says, Accept one another just as Christ accepts you in order to bring praise to God. So it says you have no right to be a respecter of persons. All of a sudden there's windows in the heart of God. You'll look out this window over here and you'll see great, great grandparents hugging mom and dad or hugging great, great grandparents. And they're hugging. And if you're in this room, you'll be screaming... It's me, it's Pat. But they will not see you. Because the Bible says there's no tears in heaven. Maybe you look out this window over here and you see grown adults singing songs. La, 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 la. And you're like, dude, they look like weirdos. And somebody says, hey, that's the fraternity of the deaf and mute getting to sing finally. And you look out this window over here and you see grown adults playing soccer or kick the can or ring around the rosy or playing some goofy game. And you're like, dude, look at them. That's grown adults playing goofy games. And somebody says, hey, that's the fraternity of the crippled and lame getting to play. And all of a sudden you... See, the Bible says in Romans 14.10 that we'll all stand before the judgment seat. Romans 14.11 says, Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
Pastor Eric, come join me. And all of a sudden you find yourself looking out this one window and it says, oh, magnify the Lord. So you need to know God's bigger than you can imagine. And all of a sudden you find yourself looking out this window and it's a giant daycare. Tanya would love this. Millions of kids. And you're watching as all of a sudden you see people that are lined up in front of the daycare. Kids are playing and you notice there's a lady standing there. Nice business suit. She goes to open the gate. And the little girl glances up says, you're here for me. And the little girl comes running up and opens the gate and the lady looks kind of bewildered. Who who are you, little girl? And the little girl takes her by the hand and says, says, come on, come on. She shuts the gate. And as the little girl's dragging her along, she she says to her, what your name? Jane Rowe. I, I don't have a name. Jesus said I got a name, but it's written on a stone somewhere and he won't share it. The little girl says, Come here. All of a sudden, the lady bends over. The little girl says, Sing to me. Huh? Sing to me. And the lady says, well, What do you want me to sing? And the beautiful little girl says, Sing Jesus Loves Me. And all of a sudden, I'm, Okay, okay, okay. I'm, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. Yes. Jesus. And the little girl goes, I know you. And the lady goes, Huh? She said, the little girl said, You didn't think I was real. But I remember your voice. And when they came and they pulled me and they took me away from you. And Jesus held me in his arms. But in the night that you gave your heart to Christ, we had a big party. Jesus loves parties. And he had a princess cake. And he held me on his lap in his living room and said, That's your mama. She'll be coming soon. You're, you're my mama. And I forgive you. And the lady collapses. All of a sudden your attention's drawn back in. You're back in the room. They go on with their reunion. And you notice there's two books sitting in front of you. One is the book of death and the other one is the Lamb's book of life because the Bible says when the books were open, that means there's more than one. The Bible says in Luke chapter 10, believers that are in this room, rejoice for your names are written in heaven. Psalm 69, 28, let them be blotted out of the book of life. Oh. Your emotions will be running wild if you're in this other place. 
Because see, Romans 2 verse 16 says, On that day God will judge the very secrets of men. All of a sudden an angel will walk into the room and you're standing amongst the rich, the poor, the great athletes, presents, but you're not asking anybody for autographs. There's no status in heaven. And all of a sudden, the angel comes in and he'll say, All rise for the reading of the ancient scriptures. And everyone in the room will stand. In fact, go ahead and stand with me if you would, church. And all of a sudden, he'll say, there's two books. He'll say, if your name is written in the book of life, welcome to heaven. All those who ran after God, even when you fell down, even when you messed up, you said, God, I'm sorry. Your name is written in the book of life. All those that when you messed up, you said, oh, how did I do that? Jesus, forgive me. Your name's written in that book. All those that repented. All those that ran after God. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Pastor, this is the heaviest thing you've ever preached on a Sunday morning. I know. And I promise I prayed all week that it would be taken with the right spirit and the right heart. But then, then he'll say, but everybody whose name's written in this book, and when you... When he points at it, laughter from hell. You'll recognize the voice. His name is the accuser of the brethren. He's the one that says, you're worthless, you're stupid, you're dumb. You should have never been born. Cut yourself. Leave your family. Cheat on your wife. Write a bad check. You know, the lying stuff. He'll say, but all who refuse to go after God, all who refuse to be real for God, all who refuse to sell out to Him, to give their heart completely to Him, all those that played game with Him, all those that did not understand that He died on the cross and loved them, your name is written in the book of death, and laughter will begin to break out from hell. And the angels will pause. But suddenly, suddenly, from outside the door will come a commotion. And one I'm not worthy to describe is making his way to the building. And it's a bigger procession than the Pope. Because suddenly everyone in the room, every rock star that ever overdosed, knees will start to shake. And everyone will start looking around. What's happening? Because holiness will first hit you at the knees, according to Ezekiel, and then it hits you at the chest. And as it begins to swarm in, the doors will fly open like secret service coming in, invading for the president, but it will be angels swooping in and out as warriors with their swords drawn. And as they come flying in, As Daniel described, wheels of fire with faces on it. Suddenly, into the room will step a foot with a hole in it. And then another foot with a hole in it. And everyone in the room will fall down and crumble 
and start going, remember the God encounter I talked about last week? Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb of God. Holy, holy, holy. And the whole room will begin to say, He is holy. He is holy. You'll see Anton LaVey, father of the Satanist church, saying he is holy. Oh, you'll see Buddha, Krishna, he is holy. Muhammad, he is holy. Oh, you ain't getting this yet or you'd be lifting your hands and worshiping. I ain't believing you ain't singing yet. Oh, we say now, He is holy. Oh, my God is so holy. He is holy. suddenly you'll be standing right in front of it. And you're going to see more love than you've ever seen. Laser beams of love coming out. The greatest love you've ever felt in your life. And let's just use me. Had I not accepted Jesus Christ, He would look at me and He'd go, Hey, Pat. And you're like, Dude, I want to hold you. You're, you're better than any drug. You're better than any sex. You're better than anything. I just want, I just want to... He's like, Hold on. When you were born... I smiled. I knit you together. I said it is good. But I just need to ask you something. He's going to roll back those sleeves. He's going to go say, What'd you do for these? And because he's the father of truth, not the father of lies, you can't lie to God. He's going to say, I was there. When your parents were fighting. I was there when you wanted to commit suicide. I was there when the world tried to take you out. I could show you a video. See, I believe there's going to be two video screens in heaven. One of what you did and one of what you should have done. And your dreams will only come at the level of your obedience, church. See, when I get to heaven, I want to see the one that says, Look what I did for you. I'm sorry for the things that I... Pastor, are, are you preaching on condemnation? No. Come on, I'm better than that. Preach, I just preach the Word. Just preach it like I see it. But he's going to say, Son, Pat, I loved you so much. What would you do for these? And if I wasn't real for God, I'll have to say I did nothing. And he's going to go with tears in his eyes. But you don't get it. I didn't create hell for you. I created hell for the devil and his demons. Why won't you sell out? Why wouldn't you sell out to me? Life's but a vapor. Do you know how much I love you? In Matthew 25, 41, it says, Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me. You're cursed. 
to the eternal lake of fire. And if you're not real for God, hell will begin to laugh. Got him. Got him. Ha! Got him. And the enemy, as you're being drugged away, Jesus said, you may have got him, but you didn't get all of them. All of them that have chose me. Church, why do you pre- do I preach this intense? Where's that vine at, that branch? See, John 15 says this. I know, I've gone long. <laughs> Every week we apologize. How about this week I don't? Okay, is that all right? We get you once a week. This week I won't. And those that come to prayer, you get it twice. So, um, We broke this off somebody's bush today. And... <laughs> Sorry to go back to my flower beds, but I said, no. <laughs> Bible says in John chapter 15, if you abide in the vine, I'll abide in you. Bible says he is the vine, we're the branch. Now see, this branch, it looks pretty right now. But a week from now, the Bible says, it goes on to say, that it will wither up and be thrown into the fire. Folks, I think sometimes as believers we forget about what Christ first did for us. We forget that He is holy. Oh, He's holy. Come on. Can we just sing it? If you don't do it here, won't do it here, you won't do it there. Some of you are going to get set free as you begin to worship Him from addictions in your life and things that have held holy you back. Lord God. Lift your hands. We say holy, Lord, heal the marriages in this house. You are holy. Heal our bodies, Lord. You are holy. your eyes across his house. Holy, holy, holy Lord. Holy, holy, holy Lord. There's four types of people in this room. Maybe you're here and you don't know why. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Christ. Or maybe number two, you're here today because you say, you know what? I'm a believer, but I'm struggling in some areas of my life. And I need God to change me. The third type of person is here. Maybe you're in here and you're just religious. You don't even have a relationship with Christ. You're just really good at quoting the Word, but not actually talking to Him. Or maybe number four, you're in here and you say, You know what, Pastor? I just came and got fed. I'm doing really good today. But I would be amiss and remiss if I did not preach a word like this and give an opportunity for you to give your heart to Christ. I just preached what heaven's about. You don't want to go to hell. We don't even have to look at that again, okay? That's over. I did that early on in the sermon to get it passed. I didn't give it justice, of course. But I want you to know as we close this series called The Anatomy of Lostness that I need you to begin to think eternity with every person you see. 
But first of all, it's got to be about you. So with every eye shut across this room, I'm not going to embarrass you today. But if you say, Pastor, I need Jesus Christ to change me, I'm going to invite our elders up, our team leaders to come up, to go up and spread across the front. Our pastors, come on with your spouses if you would. If you're an elder in here, bring your wife. Let's go. You're an elder. That's why you're an elder. Come on up. Spread out across the front. Every eye is shut. That's the leadership advisory board. I need you up here. Every eye is shut. I'm driven by this church. If this offends you, then you're probably in the wrong house today. I'm driven by the lost. I can land in cities and hear the screams of the lost. Today you heard more of an evangelist than you heard of a pastor. Because this drives me. I pull into Hewitt parking lot to pick my son up and I can hear the screams of the lost. I pull into the pinnacle to go shopping and I can hear the screams of the lost. And this morning there's people in this room that do not have true relationship with Jesus Christ. If that is you, I will not embarrass you. But this morning, God wants to touch your life. He wants to change your life. Every eye shut. If you say, Pastor, I need Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Say, I'm ready to go after God. I've not accepted Him. I've not had relationship with Him. I need Him. Raise your hand now. Come on. Thank you. Raise your hand. Say, that's me. Wow. Put your hands down. If you say, Pastor, I've wandered in some areas of my life and I need Jesus to forgive me. See, the Bible says, Church, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. See, about every six months, I'll preach a heavy word like this. Because it's time for holiness. It's time for integrity. It's time for honor. It's time to draw a line in the sand. So if you say, I need God to heal me and clean me out in some areas in my life that are just not right, and I know it, that's going to be a lot of us, so get ready. If you've got sin in your life that needs to be ripped out, some areas you've got to change, raise your hand right now. Thank you. Hands are going up all over this place. If you just raise a hand, would you walk towards the front today? I don't do that every Sunday, but if you just raise your hand, I want you to come down and just spread out across the front. Just for five minutes and we're out of here. Come on, come on up, up in the bleachers, all the way across. He is so holy. Oh, He's holy. Come on, church, would you then join them? Join them from behind. Walk towards the front, if you would. All those that are already coming down. Let's come as close as we can. He is holy. Come on. Now this don't, 
you know, praying some, some prayer don't get it, okay? Repentance means I'm choosing to change, to accept Christ and to change. Here's the problem. I prayed a thousand prayers growing up, but no one ever taught me about repentance. Repentance is when you're like, dude, I'm done. That's what Isaiah said, I'm undone. That's where God rips everything out of you. Because we're going one step further. But I'm tired of people in this room feeling guilty for things of their past. That's called condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you did garbage leading up to the point you gave your heart to Christ, He does not remember it. Okay? Quit living under that. We're going to break that in a second. Let's pray this prayer together. Would you do this? Jesus, here I am. Practicing for heaven. Forgive me. I just want you, Jesus. Here comes His presence. I just got to stop there. He told me to stop. He told me to just stop. He said, let me do the work today. Here's His love. Here's His love. You feel that? There's His love. There's His love. You cannot do anything to cause Him to reject you. You could do nothing that could cause Him to reject you. You could go mass murder a city and He'd still love you. Get Him out of your love box. He's bigger than that. Don't you dare assign your love box to Him how you think His love is. He's bigger than that. Leaders, if you just want to go pray for people, you're good. He's holy. Oh, so holy. Holy is the Lamb. Lift your hands and begin to ask Him to give you a burden for the lost. That they don't go to that horrible place called hell. But we get a burden for heaven, church. He is so very, 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 very holy. Cry out to the Lord. Ready? Cry out to Him. Jesus. I'm waiting on you to do it. Just cry out to Him. It's alright. We ain't weird. We're not weird. This may be different for y'all. It's different for us too, okay? I exalt Be exalted. Be exalted. I 
forget about core groups tonight kids core it's big make sure your kids are there pastor doug's house core groups eric and jill's and the milton's and I, i'm you just uh, youth will be at my house tonight if some parents want to drop by with them that would help that'd be great thanks for protecting our house I'm honored to pastor you. I'm honored to walk beside you. I will never apologize for preaching what God tells me to preach. Folks, let's become eternally driven. Eternal conscience. Amen? God is breaking a spirit of religion off this area and making people wake up to who, they, who He is. Who He is. Who he is.